Hi everyone, this is Flo from The Great War. Um, Happy New Year, I hope I can still say that. This is the 23rd of January now. Um, Sorry for the delay, I think we had over a month pause with no episodes now. Kind of forgot to plan ahead uh, in December when we recorded the last episode. But uh, I promise there will be some more new episodes now, Um, this being the first one of 2018. And I have a very special guest today who's going to introduce himself now. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Tangir Kalo. I'm a senior at St. Lawrence University in New York. I'm a history uh, minor and a government major, and also a McNair scholar at St. Lawrence. Tangir, uh, you told me we got—I mean—we got in touch because you worked at the—you did an internship at the World War One Centennial Commission which, by the way, has an, a very good podcast you should all subscribe to. Um, and during your internship, you know, before your internship, you discovered something, and then you started a whole research process about a very interesting subset of American soldiers. Can you tell me more about them? Yeah, so uh, at the commission, I investigated about Dr. Pugatin Thind, uh, who was an Indian that immigrated in the uh, early half of the 20th century, the United States and served uh, in the U.S. military during World War One, and um, my supervisor at the time uh, during my internship, Chris Christopher, encouraged me to find more about him, and I did. And I came across the South Asian Digital Archives website, which had digitized copies of Young India, which was a publication during World War One uh, by Indians, um, and their August 1918, October 1980 issues. Um, had six photographs and also the names of Indians that were serving the U.S. military uh, during this period. And I was fascinated by this, and I used ancestorinstitution.com, which had, we had access to during, uh, through my internship, and I investigated to- uh, documents and um, related to military service, but also their lives through censuses, naturalization records, and really pieced together their live stories, which was I was just amazed by that, you know, we had Indians more than 100 years ago, serving the U.S. military. Um, so this became uh, into a historical database, which I created at the Centennial Commission. I'm still updating, adding more to that um, database, but also publishing a few articles on the subject matter and also currently investigating it, uh, this topic as an independent study through my university. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so there's a lot of topics, interesting, uh, interesting topics we can talk about now. Uh, maybe, first of all, what did you find out about the soldier? Or maybe first, before you start with that, how did you even come across him before you knew how to search in the databases and everything? Uh, so um, I'm a history buff, and I, you know, from a very young age, I wanted to know a little bit more about my community. I'm an Indian-American first-generation college student, so I wanted to know what is our presence here in the United States, how far do we go back to And uh, there was this, uh, so I just used Wikipedia in like middle school, high school, just to see, you know, get some ideas and information. And um, I came across Pugatin Thind. Um, It was, I I believe the entry was Sikhs in the U.S. military and had uh, Pugatin Thind in the U.S. Army uniform with his rifle facing the camera. And um, um, I was just blown away. And and I really didn't think about it until I came back, uh, came to the commission I was like, well, there's this one soldier, maybe we could investigate it. And uh, so the commission was really helpful in uh, making, uh, helping me push uh, my research, but also encouraged me to find more and more. Um, so they were really helpful. And um, the database, Ancestors Institution, really came um, together in terms of collecting more information and also piecing together 
um, their military service of these soldiers, particularly Puget Sound Thin, which uh, is also a unique figure on its own uh, because after the war, his citizenship was broke along with other um, veterans of Indian origin and also other communities uh, simply because they were not white. So he fought for his citizenship and, and went to the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court in 1923, lost because the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that people of People from India are not white, therefore cannot apply and obtain nat U.S. naturalization. Wow, that's really tough. Um, so, I mean, the fight didn't, fighting didn't stop for him uh, after the war, certainly. But le let's talk about maybe his military service first to get a better perspective. Uh, so what, what were you able to piece together about him? Um, I knew that he served at Camp Lewis in Washington State. Um, he was a private, didn't serve overseas. Um, and he was, there's this great photograph of him and he's the only, uh, you can clearly see he's the only person of color and also the only one wearing a turban was surrounded by, uh, Caucasian men. Um, and he was armly discharged. So it was really interesting. And, um, actually I can, um, also his biography, I, uh, pieced together at the, uh, the, website for the uh, World War One Centennial Commission. Um, and he basically uh, entered, when the United States entered in 1917, he enlisted um, and he was um, active, reached the rank of uh, acting sergeant, sergeant as a private early on um, when the war ended. Um, and so he didn't really serve uh, that long in the war. Um, and it was basically in the... Um, Uh, the one of the depot attachments uh, at Camp Lewis. Um, so he was clearly, you know, patriotic. He really wanted to serve his country and uh, didn't get the chance to serve overseas, but nonetheless, uh, still put on the uniform, still trained, and uh, was uh, and just as American as any other individual during that war. So, and you also found, during, through the publication Young India, you mentioned, you also found some other uh, Indian Americans that served in the, in the army at that time. Do you, did you find out some more similarities or differences to the story you just told? Yeah, so I did see that, um, so especially for the racial classifications at that time for the, the um, U.S. World War I draft card, uh, majority of them, not, but not all of them, were listed as Caucasian, uh, which was really interesting. And after the war ended, if they uh, lived, uh, the 1930 census um, was reversed in terms of that um, the race of classification was brought, was listed as Hindu or East Indian, which I found really interesting uh, because the draft cards were um, labeled, uh, were, um, were registered in 1917, 1918. Um, but uh, like I said, with the uh, U.S. government broken the citizenship, they Uh, clearly um, change the policy saying, okay, yes, these people are clearly uh, not white, so we need to change their classifications. So things like that. Um, and a lot of them served on the West Coast and Camp Lewis and other um, bases and also in the South um, and uh, also as well as Cap Upton, Upton in Long Island, New York, which was really interesting. Um, so these two, three locations Uh, were, were very major for Indian immigration 100 years ago and developing economic and also uh, social ties there. Do you know what they, um, you said there was this publication which is called Young India. 
which uh, kind of rings a bell for me. I think I, we used that name when we did our special episode about India. So uh, in relation to, you know, independence movement and that kind of self-determination movement in India, do you know if, um, uh, for what reasons they immigrated to the US? Did this self-determination movement have any kind uh, anything to do with it? Yeah, so a lot of them came for economic reasons. Pagat Singh Thind and uh, some of the soldiers as well came for higher education. Pagat Singh Thind wanted to uh, become a scholar of religion, and he went to uh, you know, the University of California, Berkeley. Um, so it was mo mostly, for the most part, um, economics and education. And uh, a lot of them uh, were really well con were still connected to back in, uh, their families and their communities back in India. And they really wanted to um, uh, continue the independence struggle, and they uh, wanted to do so at home because of their connections and the opportunities they could have here, and really uh, try to promote it, um, the independence movement and the independence struggle in the United States, uh, possibly getting uh, support from the American public or the American government. Um, there was this revolution, Indian Revolutionary Party uh, called. Uh, the Gother Party, which is based out in California on the West Coast, uh, that was really active in the independence struggle. And they also, uh, Suruchi Mohun, uh, which was a, a person that I worked with on this project, um, she focused on the Hindu-German conspiracy out on the West Coast, which was uh, really fascinating. I had no idea about that. Um, the Gother Party and the other Indian revolution is getting support from the uh, Imperial Germany. Uh, to disrupt war, bridge war efforts, and also, uh, you know, as an extension of that, uh, possibly getting Indi Indian uh, independence. So it was really interesting. And then being uh, caught by U.S. authorities with the help of uh, British intelligence was just fascinating. Uh, so this piece, uh, in Young India, was a call to the American public, but also the Indian American community to pay attention to the uh, what's going on in India, and also promoting that independence struggle, um, and showing that we're. Um, also Americans by, you know, highlighting the service of these uh, soldiers, the Indian American soldiers that were fighting the U.S. military at that time. Uh, so it was a lot of moving parts, a lot of multifaceted process and uh, components um, for the Indian, at least for the Indian American experience during the First World War. Yeah, the, the Hindu-German conspiracy sounds a bit like the light version of the Zimmerman telegram and, uh, and everything. I, I know that the Germans had, uh, I mean, as early as 1914, they had always had these grand ideas that they, you know, just with a little bit of nudging and some very limited military resources, we can get all the peoples across the globe to rise up against the British overlords. I mean, starting with the, with the jihad in the Ottoman Empire, and they also tried to do the same thing in Persia, uh, and there was a, an expedition to Afghanistan, and, and so on and so on. Right, and also supporting the Irish Republican Army, um, Indian revolutions in the United States. Uh, so they had their hands on everything as much as they could. Yeah, you can you can see a pattern here. That's very interesting, definitely. Um, so you found all these kind of moving parts and everything. And I think a lot of our listeners here, um, and we also get these requests a lot in the YouTube comments, is um, how do I even start researching something like that? I mean, you had a, you had a name and like where where do i start like if i have a relative or some, or even just a photo or a name right so you can use ancestry institution but that's a subscription so you have to pay for it but even you if you have you know like a close by like a national archives or any kind of museum um or historical society uh, they're more than willing to help you out uh based on where you are 
Um, so that's what I was lucky enough to be at the commission um, and get access to the ancestryinstitution.com. Um, but I also got connected to the Library of Congress and the National Archives uh, to obtain more information and more access uh, to these files. Um, so I definitely think it would just be a matter of just look at your local library, even you know, going to see what uh, kind of sources that are available uh, to for you to use to investigate. Um, and you'd be surprised then where where those uh, you know that simple task of just going to a library or just contacting someone through email uh, at the archives could lead you. And it's just phenomenal that um, you know there's a wealth of information out there, and most of it is digitized. You know, we're living in an age where you know technology. Is continuing to expand and be resourceful to us in a number of ways. Um, so you don't even have to leave your home to get access to some of these documents and other information. So it's just uh, it's a uh, incredible, incredible um, the time that we're living in um, for being able to gain access to information. Cool. So basically, it's kind of like a detective work. That's right. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Investigation, and um, you know, I like to think I'm an histor a historian in training. Uh, finding clues, piecing together information, um, things like that is just, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, you know, it's thrilling. It's, uh, it's a totally unique experience than, you know, uh, in a science discipline or mathematics and things like that, or, you know, humanity, um, or any other humanity subject. It's, uh, it's a great, yeah, it's a totally uh, unique experience. In the beginning, you mentioned that you um, put all your findings and everything in a database of your own. So if um, people are looking speci specifically for just Indian American soldiers of the war, um, they can also access this database, which might be a good starting point. Yeah, so the database is on the United States World War I Centennial Commission website. Um, the, the, uh, it's called Indians Who Served. So if you go to uh, World War One uh, numerical centennial.org slash Indians Who Served, uh, you'll find the database. And uh, it's on under a section called Bande Mathuram in the U.S. It, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it ta also talks about the Indian-German uh, Hindu conspiracy and also uh, it's um, below it is my, my work with the uh, World War I Centennial Commission. Um, so we're still adding and updating that database. And uh, right now I have found close to 50 soldiers of all creeds, Hindu, Muslim, Sikhs, uh, even Christians or Indians that converted to Christianity. Um, And they're settled all across the uh, United States, uh, far as uh, Massachusetts, South Carolina, uh, Texas, Florida, Montana, Missouri. So all over the United States uh, during uh, World War One, and then also um, post World War One. Great. Um, of course, I will put the links to that in the uh, description of the podcast, so you can find that, find them right away. Uh, is there anything you want to add that I didn't ask? Um, I definitely think this is all a very unknown uh, history of the Indian American community in the United States, um, and also, the, so and then the question becomes, so what, right? And uh, so what? And the question to that is one: uh, Indian immigration it challenges the general assumption that Indian immigration started after 1965, and also shows that you know the Indian American community that has also paid. paid uh, Uh, contributed to the development of America as, oh, as a nation, but also as in the military. So they're just as American as anybody else. 
Um, so I'd also encourage if the, there's any um, people uh, in the United States that are Indian and that have probably you know have a history in the United States that might know any relative they have um, and that served during the World War One. I'm more than willing to hear about it. They can be I can be reached at uh, tkilo14 at stlawu.edu um, to talk more uh, about this. Yeah, absolutely. I will also put uh, a contact uh, for you in the in the in the podcast description. Um, this is a great project, uh, I have to say, and it's really great to you know see that these even these um, you know this kind of trend of very local, very specialized history still um, is another puzzle piece in understanding this global co conflict. And uh, yeah, I, I, like for me, for example, when you contacted me, I also had no idea about this topic, and I was very curious right away that uh, to learn more about it. Um, did, did you, by the way, ever meet or hear from any relatives of these soldiers? Or did you yeah, 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 yeah. So I did hear from uh, one particular person called uh, named Rahul Gudral. Uh, he's based out of Texas, and I found his great uncle on his mom's side. Uh, Colonel Pashupati Joseph Sarma, um, he's buried in uh, the Arlington Cemetery, and he found my work, and he was just blown away um, by it, and then he provided more information about his great-uncle, and then also a photograph, uh, so he was just amazed that, you know, I found him, and then, you know, investigated more, he's like, I never saw his draft card or his death certificate, um, and other documents. So he's like, thank you for, you know, doing this work and continue doing it because we really need to show to the world and also to the American community that, you know, we're part of, we're part of the American story. And that, you know, we also had our struggles, um, as like any other community in the United States and, um, where you can, we continue to fight. You know, that's, that's great. And I wish you all the best uh, for the future and for the, for the project. I hope, I hope some people that listen here will, you know, maybe even help you or be encouraged to dig up stories, to dig up information about their own community, about their, even just their relative. I'm currently also researching my family in World War II, World War I. Um, you know, talk to, also talk to the people in your family. As long as, you know, especially some of your grandparents or so are still around, uh, you will be amazed what they be able to tell you when you ask. Don't assume they told you every, <laughs> everything uh, without asking. That's like yeah. the, my personal advice. Um, so uh, thanks a lot, Tamir. Um, yeah. As I said, all the necessary information is in the description. Uh, again, definitely check out the website for the World War One Centennial Commission and also check out their podcast. They have been a great support for us personally at the Great War and uh, for everything related to the Centennial Over in the US, they are basically the go-to source you should check out. So uh, thanks a lot again. Thank you. Thank and, you for having me. And uh, yeah, best of luck for 2018. Yeah, thank you so much.